five. And we are going to try as much as is possible to deal with an awful subject. Uh, it is really one, uh, a national epidemic. Uh, it is a great problem we deal with today. And we have to remember that it is under the context here. And uh, let's just read the entire passage here so that we, we get all that uh, Jesus is trying to say. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Oops, not 21. I'm sorry, where are we here? Verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now we've been through this passage. This is actually our third lesson on just this uh, verse 27 through 32. And uh, tonight what we want to do is deal with the last two verses, but we want to keep them in the context of the entire sermon and in the context of the verses at hand. This is not a message that is addressed to the unsaved world. This message is addressed to those who want to enter the kingdom. And Jesus is setting the standard of righteousness that ought to be lived in the lives of Christians. This, if you will uh, go through these things, if you have never been married, and you start in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and let that be the attitude and the shape of your soul, and you marry a person who shares that same desire, divorce is not topical. It's not going to be an issue. Unfortunately, we live in a world where that does not happen. And we're not trying to uh, drag up uh, secrets or information from anybody about anything. What, what we're trying to do is just go through and give the uh, what the Bible teaches. Uh, you will find five independent fundamental Baptist preachers, and they'll probably be able to give you between seven and 14 different uh, understandings of this. I, I'm just going to present it the best way I know how from the Scripture, and and uh, and you can look, and I would encourage you to look up the references and, and study this for yourself. Let's. Jesus said, "Listen, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, 
let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, what Jesus is referring here to uh, very uh, surely is Deuteronomy chapter 24. In the law, there was a provision made for the breaking of a marriage or divorce. And we come here to Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is the, the laws regarding divorce. It says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, or former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. Now, the Bible does not give a tremendous amount of information in the law. Now, people have tried to mold this and make it say different things. Uh, it says uncleanness, and uh, that's not talking about immorality, because if a man married a wife and she was found to have uh, not been pure when they got married, then she could actually be, according to the Old Testament law, executed for not having remained pure unto marriage. Adultery was a capital offense in the Old Testament law. Somebody said, boy, I'm glad that's not true today because that would be about two-thirds of the population of the United States. Um, and uh, that may or may not be the case. I hope it's not quite that bad, but uh, it, uh, immorality is everywhere today. And what this is, uh, other people would interpret it, if she burns dinner, he can, he can write a bill of divorce. Now, I've given you the two extremes. Neither one are what's implied in Scripture. When the Bible talks about uncleanness, it's talking about something that hinders and interrupts your worship of God. Now, there are people that just have attitudes and ways about them that can accomplish this. This was the only means of divorce. If immorality was involved, the offenders, both male and female, were to be put to death. Now, that would solve divorce court today because if... The husband cheats on the wife, he would be put to death, and the lady he cheated with would be put to death, and that would solve the problem. You wouldn't have that problem anymore. Um, now, somebody saying, Pastor just said to go kill everybody that committed adultery. No, he did not. We, we live in a whacked-up world, do we not? The point that we want to make here is under the law, if you had the right to divorce, you had the right to remarry. That's what a divorce is all about. And Jesus says, listen, this is what 
the law said, just like he said, if you commit adultery under the penalty of the Old Testament law, you were to die. He said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have already are guilty of death. That's what Jesus said. He said, in the case of divorce, let's look at this thing. And he is saying, listen, I want you to understand something here. Unless it's for fornication, unless, except it be for fornication, unless there is some immoral relationship going on in the marriage, there are no other reasons for a Christian who is married to a Christian to be divorced, period. Because you ought to get your heart right with God. He said, if you just divorce for any reason, you're causing your wife to commit adultery and whoever marries her and some people have taken this way out of context and, and uh, uh, the uh, simple truth is what Jesus is trying to establish here is that unless there's immorality involved, you have no right to divorce. That's what Jesus is trying to put forth here. Incompatibility is not biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, say, well, we just don't understand each other. Um, does... Oh, my. There it goes. I didn't turn my cell phone off. It rings from the office. But... The simple truth of the matter is, if there is a man in here that understands women, will you please raise your hand? And I'll call you a liar to your face. <laughs> now, ladies, this is a little more difficult because I am not a lady, but I, I can tell you this. If there's a lady here that really understands men or thinks she does, I'll do the same thing. Uh, welcome to the human race. No one really understands everything about another person. You choose to work together to live. That's what marriage is about. Amen? And it's like I've told several people over the years, they've said, I'm just not sure I can handle all that. And I say, don't. Don't start. If you, if you don't, or if you're not sure about it, if you don't think you can handle it, if marriage isn't that big of a deal to you, don't do it. Because I promise you, you'll fail. You've got to want to be married, and you've got to want to put up with another human being. And that's a lot of work. And you can ask my wife, she'll tell you. No. But Jesus is giving a higher standard. He says, listen, this idea of just having a difficulty you can't solve and writing a divorcement and saying that you're, uh, you're divorced and going and marrying another person because you think it'll be easier. I think it was Brother Bob Lewis 
uh, gave this information in a, in a preacher's meeting several years ago. I don't have the documentation, but uh, he said, people who are unhappy in marriage, they, they did a, uh, like a five or seven year study. They said five years later, they were still unhappy in marriage. That's encouraging, isn't it? But he said they were still much more happier and much more satisfied in their life than those who tried to divorce and find another marriage. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? You're following what I'm saying? Divorce does not enhance happiness. It just adds to the suffering. Now, Jesus is saying, listen, this idea here is if you just are divorced because of mutual incompatibility, God does not recognize that divorce. And therefore, you can remain separated, but you should not be remarried. And the idea here is that the, the person who committed adultery or fornication in the marriage, and the only difference is uh, fornication is a generic word that uncovers, that encompasses all immoral activity. Uh, a person who uh, decides to try uh, sodomy as another form of marriage is not an adulterer, he's a fornicator or she's a fornicator. Uh, but a person who uh, decides that they want another spouse at the same time is an adulterer. And it includes, the word fornication includes all immoral activity uh, that, that there is. It all comes under that classification. Now, uh, one of the most difficult parts of being a pastor and dealing with divorce is it was her fault. It was his fault. Um, let me let me just make a statement here, and I hope I don't make anyone upset. But I think if you'll look at it, uh, you'll agree with me. Um, there's enough fault to go around. I don't think anybody's innocent if you're involved in a divorce situation. Um, uh, there's... Uh, that we can go through scenarios, and that, that's not my intention tonight. But we talk about the requirements, and we'll deal with this a little later, of a pastor and a deacon. The first issue is blameless. Then it says husband of one wife. You go through a divorce, you're no longer blameless. You're no longer qualified to hold the position of pastor or uh or deacon, and I know there are those who will argue with me, uh, but they have ulterior motives. One of the main arguers on his third living wife, uh, he has a reason to argue that point. Uh, but uh, you cannot, you cannot look at these words, as Jesus is saying here, and say that you have the right to divorce and just remarry at will, this is not scriptural. 
Um, those that have divorced and remarried start with somewhere between a 60 and 80% chance to divorce again. You've already done it once. It's easy to fall into the pattern the second time. Now, you say, well, what do I do? I, I mean, do I have to stay single? Well, don't jump ahead of me. We'll cover that. Divorce does have a place. There are reasons for the separation of a marriage. And one of the most unusual things in the Scripture, and I've never been one to shy away from what the Bible says, and we're going to go right to Exodus chapter 21. And people have a lot of questions about this, and uh, I'm not going to answer all your questions. I can't. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And I'm also going to tell you that Exodus chapter 1 does not apply to anyone's life uh, living in the world today. Uh, this was something that was uh, set up uh, because of the issue of servanthood or slavery. And God made a provision for if, if a man came in and he sold his services. Look at chapter Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. It says, If thou buy an Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh year shall he go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, and she hath borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now, people look at that and they say, that's not right. Um, I'm not here to argue. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There, there's an issue of ownership here, and God did not transgress that issue. But he did make a provision in the next verse. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, this is a picture of the love that God wishes for us to show towards him. We were the servants of sin. Jesus bought us with his blood. Amen? But he will not give you, he will not purchase your soul unless you willingly agree to have Jesus save you. Amen? This is the picture here. The Hebrew servant, if he had, uh, let's say you had financial difficulties. The Old Testament law didn't believe in bailouts. It said you could sell your services for a period of six years. And what that would do is... That man would buy your service for six years. You would work for him full time six years. 
and he would take the money that he would have to pay for that service and he would give it to the people that you owed your debt to. And you could pay off your debts this way. Say, boy, that'd take a long time. Yeah, there were some pretty strict rules about indebtedness in the Bible. It was never, ever encouraged. Good rule to follow today, amen? Stay away from debt. It will destroy you. And this man said, listen, if I love my family, I can choose to be a servant. And then he became the responsibility for life of the owner. Yes, he had to work. But let me tell you something. He was going to have to work anyway. If you didn't work, guess what you didn't do? You didn't eat. And if you don't eat, well, guess what? You don't live very long. You know, you might live two or three months, but that's about as long as you're going to do it. So he could choose to take his life and devote it to his master. The master then would take an awl, a sharp pointed a metal, usually made out of metal, is for boring holes in leather and making harnesses for the animals and, uh, and different things. And he would literally, he would take him to the door post and not like they do at the, uh, what is the, the piercing your ears. He would put, start here and he would end at the bottom. He would literally rip the lobe open. Now what would happen is once that healed, there would be a massive scar tissue there. It would be very plain for any... It was a mark that could not be erased for life that everyone would know that this man devoted his life to his master and his family. This is an illustration of what God desires in our hearts to willingly surrender our service to God for life and he wants to mark us. Praise God. It's not like Exodus chapter 21. That hurt. But he wants to leave his mark on our life. He wants us to be a peculiar people. A marked people. If the man decided that he was not going to stay and not going to serve, he could leave, but he could not take his master's property with him. We have another situation that is in this chapter as well. Oftentimes, a family who, who had financial hardships and they had a daughter would arrange a marriage for that daughter and there would be a dowry or a, an amount that was paid to the family for that marriage. And this is what it's talking about in verse 7. And if a man sell his daughter, uh, it's not that he was taking her out to the market and saying 45, 55, 55, 55, 60, 60, 60. No, that's not what was going on here. This was an arranged marriage. And that marriage would include a cash settlement, a payment by the family, and, and that could alleviate the financial burden of the family. This was just the way things were done here. And if this woman who was 
betrothed to her master or to his son, if there was a problem there and the marriage was not going to uh, work, it says here, uh, if she pleased not her master or betrothed him to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed to sell her to a strange nation. He shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. And if he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish and if he do not these three unto her, then she shall go out free without money. And so these were provisions that were made in the Old Testament law. And you say, Pastor, why are we spending time tonight? Very simple. You are going to meet sooner or later some spiritual ignoramus who is going to go to this passage and try to use it to twist around God's word and say things that God never intended to say. What God was doing here was he was protecting the rights of a young woman who had no choice about decisions that her family made to arrange a marriage for her. And if that did not work the way it should... God was putting protections in to allow her to be set free from that bondage and that relationship there, and she could go out and be married to another person. These were things that God put in the law. Now, let me ask you a question here. Is anybody here a servant? Can you sell your services for six years like the Hebrews did? So these laws are non-topical for us today, but yet they do provide a picture of our love relationship with our Savior, our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the first case. And in the second, it gives us an illustration of God's love and protection for this young lady who was put into a situation that she could not, she had no control over whatsoever, how God protected her through this situation. So we go back to Matthew chapter 19, and, and we're going to cut right to the heart of the real issue. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and again, um, this was toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, this was still before the triumphal entry. It was not the last week, but they were trying to uh, um, entrap Jesus. In verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put his wife, put away his wife, for every cause. Now, the historians tell us there was a little bit of background to this question. There were two schools in the Pharisees, in the traditions of the Jewish people. One was a very strict school that said only for immorality could you write divorce. The other one was a very liberal school that said if she burnt your toast in the morning, uh, more than once you could write a bill of divorcement and get remarried. And so the Pharisees 
being of the stricter sect, were coming to Jesus to see where he would fall in this thing. And if he decided to choose the stricter interpretation and line up, I think it was with uh, uh, Shillel or Hillel, Hillel, and then they would go get their liberal Sadducee friends to attack Jesus. If he lined up with uh, whatever the other guy's name was, the more liberal guy, Burnt Toast, uh, then they would attack Jesus. So this is the context of the passage. They're trying to lay a trap for Jesus. Now, Jesus does what he always does. He cuts right to the heart of the issue. Let's read on. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now this was Jesus' statement in complete keeping with his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? He said, there should not be divorce. When you're made one flesh in God, there's, there should not be divorce, period. We go on. They say unto him, verse 7, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the, read the next phrase there, hardness of your hearts. Can I suggest to you today the number one reason for divorce is the hardness of the human heart? This is the issue. And Jesus is dealing with this. He says, listen, this is how serious this issue of lust is. If your right eye offends thee, what? Pluck it out. If your right hand offends thee, cut it off. Get it away from you. Now, we all know that neither your right eye nor your right hand causes you to lust. It's your heart. And you can't cut that out and cast it away from you or you'll die. God doesn't want you to commit suicide. He wants you to get close enough to him to deal with lust and get the victory over it. That's what God wants you to do. But you have to understand something. You're never going to do that unless you're willing to enter a life and death struggle. We live in an impure world. I think the average age a young lady loses her purity today is about 15. The average age a young man loses his purity today is about 14. This ought not be so. But I want to warn you, if you're not willing to struggle in a life and death struggle for purity, you're not going to make it. That's the world in which we live. And by the way, it was the world in which Jesus lived too. That's why he said these things in the Sermon on the Mount. And the struggle that you use to keep your mind pure and to have victory over lust is the same struggle that you bring into your marriage to keep you and your spouse together. And by the way, both of you must engage in this struggle to make a marriage work. It has got to be 
the struggle of your life to keep yourselves together. This is the reason for divorce. When a person allows their heart to become hard, let me tell you something, there's nothing you can do to stop that. Only God can change hard hearts. And only God will change them. And, uh, let me put it this way. God will only soften hardened hearts when we come to him and ask him to do so. But it takes a lot of work to soften a hard heart. Because you don't realize. I've sat down with couples and one I remember dealing with. I said, you know, you have spent the last whatever years we have involved here, and it was many, learning to hate each other. And you've done a really good job. Would you be willing to spend that many years trying to learn to love each other again? Because if you're not, it's not going to happen. This is what the Bible is speaking about here. This is why divorce is such an issue. And Jesus said, listen, for the hardness of your hearts, Moses suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And Jesus reiterates, he says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. And uh, uh, I remember trying to get into a conversation one time and a, pre and a preacher was trying to tell me, well, when, when you marry a person who's been divorced, they commit adultery every day. Uh, as long as they're together, it's a continual thing. And, and the only answer is for them to get divorced and, and to separate from each other. And I'll be real plain with you, I can't find that in the Scripture. But I will tell you that when you marry against what the Bible says, you will not have a happy marriage. I promise you. It's just not true. It's not possible. And the, uh, we, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, let's just review here. We have the idea in the case of the servant that we've looked at. That's actually a picture of our love for Christ. There was some protections built into that. Jesus here says the reason for divorce is the hardness of hearts. We have fornication. And then we go to Matthew chapter, I mean, I'm not sorry, not 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul gives one other reason for divorce. We come here to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, down to verse 13, and it says, If a woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased... Well, let's go back to verse 12, I'm sorry. But to the rest speak I not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if she be pleased, and if he be pleased to dwell with her... Let her not leave him. 
For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Now, what this is simply saying here is, the Protestant church has gone to this, and they said, listen, if you're married to an unsaved person, uh, you can still have your children baptized into the covenant line. And that's not what this is talking about, all right? Uh, What this is simply saying is, An unsaved spouse is going to be hindered in their ability to sin by being married to a saved person. And those children that grow up in that home are going to be hindered in their ability to go out into the world by the true testimony of someone who is saved. That's what this passage is simply saying. That's what it means by holy. It means separated. I can't do that. My mom won't let me. Why not? Oh, she's one of them crazy Christians. Good for mom. Amen. Or dad, as the case may be. Uh, This is just, uh, I think, this is what it's talking about. Now, verse 15, it says, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage. In such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O men, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Now this is the goal here, is that that unbelieving spouse would be saved. Amen? And the ideal here is, if for your And we have to be careful here because human beings like to do awful things with God's work. There are times when a person is married and wants to, they got married when they were unsaved, they get saved, they want to serve God, and the other spouse will not abide with any testimony of God in the home and they take off. The Bible says that under that situation, there can be a divorce situation. Now, it doesn't say that you should just go out and remarry somebody in the church. In fact, Paul is teaching against that. What was happening in Corinth is you had some one member of the house get saved and She looked at her husband and said, he's a filthy, dirty slob living in the world and doing all these wicked things. I'm going to divorce him and marry some nice, saved man in the church. Mm, That's not Bible. That's what Paul was teaching against. He said, listen, you're going to hinder their ability to sin if you'll just do right and stay in the home and you do not know what you might do. The idea that you can just divorce and remarry at will is sinful at best. Uh, There's just no other way to put it. The disciples in Matthew chapter 19, when they hear Jesus say all this, they said, who then can be married? It's, It's not a good thing to be married if you can't get divorced. If you can't get out of it, don't get married in the first place. And Jesus saying, whoa, wait a minute, you've got to go into this thing with a completely different attitude than that. It's till death do us part. 
And that doesn't mean because you have a revolver in the top drawer either, all right? Uh, it is till death do us part. We're going to commit to live our lives together. That's what marriage is. And let me make this statement. I hope not to offend anyone, but you would be far better to spend your entire life single than to be married to the wrong person for five minutes. It would be far better to, to never be married than to marry the wrong person. And anyone who's been through the horrors of divorce would tell you that they agree. There's nothing more traumatic that the human person can go through than a divorce. Do you know what the second one is? The death of a spouse. See, if your husband or your wife dies, at least you can go to the cemetery and realize that it's over and find comfort, especially if that person was saved. But if they're still alive doing hurtful things, there's, there's no end to the pain. And what we need to do is, is we need to get with God and, and just love the Lord and understand that as Jesus is teaching back here in Matthew chapter 5, he is leveling the same penalty for both men and women. The Pharisees had this whole thing worked out to where only the woman was suffering. Again, we go to John, reference John chapter 8. When they brought the woman who was taken in adultery, they didn't bring the man. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's the same thing for both men and women. And if you read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, it says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, desireth a good work, he must therefore be blameless. If a preacher, if a man is divorced, he has no right to prepare for the gospel ministry. If a preacher gets divorced, he should not be a pastor. He should resign his pastorate. Now, I hear an awful lot about Charles Stanley, and I will tell you that Charles Stanley is probably the best preacher on television and radio today. But Charles Stanley, according to this passage, should not be a preacher, period let alone be this great radio preacher that's all over the country. He was that before he had marriage problems. And everybody said, oh, we must keep you. You're such a great Bible teacher. We can't deal without you. Wait a minute. This is why I say I don't like Christian radio. And I don't like Christian television. I don't. I just... The best are unqualified as far as the Scripture is concerned. And so we need to stay away from that and get into a good, local, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. And if you can't stand me, I'll give you a list. You'll have to drive a little ways. But it's better to be in a church. That is where you need to be. Now, uh, just point of consideration uh, People ask me, Pastor, do you remarry people who have been divorced? And there are occasions when I do that. And, uh, but it has to follow in the biblical context. 
There is almost no such thing as a divorce today without fornication being involved in one method or another. And the Bible is very clear. When there's been a divorce and the woman leaves the home or the man leaves the home and they go out and marry someone else, they cannot go back and remarry the original person. The Bible calls that an abomination. And so um, if they have not been the person committing the act of adultery or fornication, there's a biblical right for remarriage. If we will accept you as a member of the church, then you ought to be married in the church. Amen? But we're not going to give you a marriage upstairs and let you walk down the aisle in a white dress and pretend like nothing ever happened. It's going to be a much smaller affair, and we're going to try to do it as biblically and ask God to bless. But I'll tell you what, I'll just be real honest with you. I don't know anyone that has ever had what would be considered a really good second marriage when divorce was the end of the first one. I've known some people that have whose spouses died and they've been remarried. I think of Brother Morse in Venezuela. Both he and his wife, they were married um, to spouses that hindered their service for God. They patiently waited and kept serving God His wife passed away of a heart attack suddenly. Her husband had lingering illnesses for years. And somehow after both husband and wife passed away, they met each other. And they act like they're 18 sometimes. I'll tell you, it's it's a blessing. And by the way, they're not. They have children that are, uh, some of their children are almost my age. So, I mean, they're, they're getting up there. They're in their late 60s, but... Uh, you would think by the prayer letters they write and the way that they are together, that's something that God can do. Amen? But, 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 we have to be very, very, very careful. The Bible does not put any difference. And I've had a lot of people say this. Well, I did this before I was saved. You can't find any difference. You can't find any clause like that in the Bible. I wasn't married in church. Uh, Neither were Adam and Eve. Neither was Abraham and Sarah. Neither was Isaac and Rebecca. In fact, no one in the Old Testament was married in church. Uh, In fact, Mary and Joseph weren't married in church. Uh, That is a new thing. In fact, if you live in Europe... You cannot be actually married in a church. You've got to go down to the justice of hall, a justice of the peace, to the courthouse and get a legal marriage. And then you can come to the church and have a religious marriage. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church has this idea that if you're not married in the church, uh, it's not a marriage. Uh, That's very fortunate for the Catholic Church, but God doesn't really care what they believe because it's all wrong anyway. Amen? Uh, And so... Try not to keep you too long here tonight. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll read two verses and then we'll go back to Matthew chapter 5. And I think we can uh, just tie this up. And again, there's no way I can answer everybody's questions uh, about this in one lesson. Uh, if you have specific questions you'd like to address, we'll 
uh, we'll set up an appointment when we can do that. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Art thou bound unto a wife, seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife, seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And he goes on to say that there, there is a lot of problems. There was a lot of turmoil in this day. Listen, with scriptural grounds for divorce comes the scriptural privilege of remarriage. But please, 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 please approach it with incredible discernment and care. Because if you don't, you're just going to be setting yourself up to go through the whole situation again. And like I said, I I know some pastors who will not uh, perform a wedding, a second marriage to anyone. This is the only problem I have is when you tell somebody, go get married at the justice of the peace and then come in and join the church then you got a problem there. You're being, you're being hypocritical. If you'll accept them as members of the church and allow them to serve God in the church and take their tithe, then they ought to have a wedding in the church. But it ought to be a subdued and quiet and different uh, type of service. And, and we, need to, we need to serve God. And God forgives sin. Amen. If you are married today, you say, I don't fit the biblical requirement and all of this, I'm married. Well, you've disqualified yourself from several places of service. But you can still be faithful. You can still talk to people about Jesus. You can still serve the Lord with your life. Someone said, what do you do with And if you were a missionary and you find someone that's married more than one wife, I would tell him to take care of all of his wives, but he can't be a preacher or a deacon. Because polygamy was in the Old Testament. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it should be practiced. I don't know of any good that comes out of it. But if it's already there, I can't find a verse in the Bible that says you ought to break it. But if you get if you have more than one wife here in the United States, I'm going to do everything in my power to see you go to jail for it because it's against the law. Amen? So don't come and give me that stuff because if you live here, you're breaking the law and you better get that thing fixed. And so... That is the best that I can explain. You said, Pastor, you've raised more questions than you have answers. Well, guess what? Join the crowd. Whenever I have to deal with a person, it's always a case-by-case basis. There are no hard, fast points that you can just lay out and say, this is the way things are. But I will tell you this. The best thing in the world is to stay absolutely pure to your wedding day. And you get married and you stay that way until you die. 
That's the picture of Christ's love for his church. Now Moses messed with one of God's paintings in the Old Testament by striking the rock twice. He was forbidden to enter into the promised land. You mess with God's painting of his love for his church. Let me tell you, you're going to be in spiritual trouble. It's not worth it, my friend. You'd do much better never to be married than to marry the wrong person. You say, but I was unsaved when I got married. Um, Again, there's no protection there. The Bible doesn't tell you that you have a right now that you're saved to divorce your unsaved spouse and go find someone that's saved. Uh, The Bible says you never know. Maybe you can lead that person to the Lord. Amen? And there are times when you you can't go back. There are problems in this life that you cannot solve. And divorce is one of them. You can't take the scars away. You can't take the memory away. You can't change what has happened. That's why it's best. And that's what Jesus... Let's go Matthew chapter 5 and then we'll be done. Sorry for keeping you so long, but this is a, one of those tedious subjects. And, you, and, and again, if I opened it up to questions, we could be here till midnight just discussing and, and asking different things. And, and again... Uh, that's not the, uh, what we're trying to do here tonight. What we're trying to do is to put this in the context of the passage. This is a passage, that, a sermon that is being preached to those who wish to enter the kingdom of God. This is a message to saved people. If you are saved, you have no right to marry an unsaved person. It is forbidden in the scriptures. You should marry a saved person. And by the way, that person ought to share your exact doctrinal position. And if they don't, you do not have a right. You should not marry that person. It's just the way it is. If you don't have an agreement in your Economic understanding. You have a very wealthy man marrying a very poor girl or vice versa. Let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of problems there. Someone said, well, you ought not marry anyone outside your race. That's not in the scripture. Uh, But if we go back to the Tower of Babel, how did God divide people? He divided them by their language. That's how he divided people. You've got to have an understanding that goes deeper than I like you and you like me. There, there's, uh, and I'm not talking about, what is that, eHarmony's 29 points of spiritual comparison or something? Uh, please don't do that. It's got to be deeper than 29 points, my friend. If you can't share your relationship with God, With that person, you have no right getting married. You just don't. Oh, but they'll change. Is that fair? I could talk about this all night. 
You don't have the right to demand another human being to change for you. You don't. If they're not already where they're supposed to be, then you shouldn't get married. Amen? It's just, it's not just sense, it's Bible. You ought to be able to share these things. It is talking to Christians. If you cannot enter this life and death struggle to protect each other from lust that is in the world, then you have no right to get married to each other. That's the context of this passage that Jesus is talking about right here. It is such a serious issue that if you as a Christian divorce your spouse who is a Christian, you are putting that person into a sin relationship with God. That's pretty serious, isn't it? There's... The best way to deal with smoking. When is it easiest to quit smoking? Before your first cigarette. It's easiest to get the victory over liquor before your first drink. It's easiest to deal with pornography and lust in your life before you look at your first book or movie or whatever you do. If you don't deal with it early, you're going to fight with it all through your life. That's why Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of God's judgment. If you allow lust to reign in your heart, you're in danger of God's judgment. He's dealing with the heart. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would burn these truths into our minds and into our hearts. Lord, again, there's just so much, so many different scenarios, so many different circumstances that could be brought up and questioned and and dealt with here. And, And Lord, we just ask that you would help each one of us in our own heart to determine that we're going to live pure and we're going to live according to the Bible. We're going to work together as a church to help each other live pure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have Joy play a verse or two of a song. and.